Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Just visiting or came here. We're going through the Lord's Prayer, refocusing and getting some paradigm shifts on prayer. And so doing it in the sense of you being the house of God, and the Lord said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You're the dwelling place of God. And Jesus telling his disciples, in my Father's house are many rooms of rest. And so breaking down the Lord's prayer, a friend of mine who's a pastor in in St. Louis did this. I'm doing it quite differently than he did it, but that's where the idea of it came from. And that we go into each one of these rooms, and instead of picking apart and creating another equation of how to or how not to do prayer, instead going, what, what, what's there, God? What are, you trying, what are you trying to get into me? Because really, prayer is simply this, communicating with God. It's... Communion. It's us uh, going on a journey together. And for many people, we know the pain of it. For, for many people, it feels like a monologue. For others of us, if it does feel like a dialogue, I tell you, most of the time for me, it does feel like a monologue. I'm saying stuff, hoping in God's listening. But then when I really get in touch with the rooms and I go, <sighs> and relax, it's a resting place, then I feel like he speaks inside of my heart. And those comes through thoughts that I have that I'm able to distinguish are not my thoughts. I didn't think of those. I'm not original enough, and I'm, you know, like most of us, I know exactly how smart I am or how smart I'm not. Uh, and, And understanding, oh, that's the Lord. And he just wants to go on such a place of... of wanting that sweet communion with you, just real authentic prayer time. And so trying to kick out all of what kind of the paradigms we were taught before and also the language that we use because you get with different, I don't know all of your pasts or all of your engagement or what you were with, but different groups and different denominations all have different forms of prayer. And then they get languages and culture around their prayer. You know, I can remember a family member when I was a little boy, he would, he would always go to King James English, even if it was just to bless the meal, you know. Oh, thou most high God who sitteth in eternity. You know, he started doing the itteth and hath and hath. And, and I go, that's weird. I thought he was weird anyway. And I went, that's really weird. I just, you know, my little brain couldn't connect with it. It still doesn't very good. I don't, you know. And, uh, but yet, in my own life, I got formal. I got formal with God, you know? And uh, I don't know, there's something kind of sacrilegious if we go, you know, like, hey, God. But we do that when we're angry, yeah? Oh, you never, never talked to God when you were angry? Yeah. Hey, you. You know, it's, we change our language and stuff. This is not that. I want you to just 
take it easy and come into these different rooms. Today we're going to look at, and by the way, if you'd like to catch up, this has already been, this is like number 12 in this series. I think this is room number 9, yes, but it's number 12 because I had to do some introduction stuff. And I like to teach this way. It's inductive learning. And I've been um, trying to get us to look at, so your paradigms would shift, at different translations of the Lord's Prayer to begin with. And so, if you will, let's read this aloud together. This is a New Living Translation. Would you say with me, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Isn't that good? I love that version. You know? um, and today's room is a room that most of us just want to put our toes in and then run out of there real quick. But actually, that's not what it's for. The forgiveness room is what it would normally be called. I call it the freedom room, a room of freedom. We are not going to get through this teaching today. So you either got to get on the podcast in the coming weeks or come back and hear the rest of it because this is a room that you have to rest in for a little while. And you have to go back to it. And it takes a little while to go through this room. This is a room that has all kinds of curios in it. This is a room that sometimes looks like you're a hoarder. Has stacks and stacks and stacks of legal documents against the wall. Pages and pages of it. Some of them are dusty and old. It has glass trophy cases are in this room. Or it's a room that is nearly empty. It's beautiful beyond description. It can be a room that has fresh air in it, an open window. And once again, you can hear that. It's a room that God's real active in, in your life. It's the part of the prayer that we've done really well at making an equation out of because it has to do with forgiveness. Some of it happens naturally because of this. You see, it really is the centrality of forgiveness, now you have to think through this, is not only in the Lord's Prayer but in everything that God did with us as human beings. We talked about it in our cure group this morning. If you look at the Bible in basic English, it, uh, I love the way they put it, and make us free of our debts. Now, we did that last week. As we have made those free who are in debt to us. Um, we've been trying to break free from equation living and living in the... Uh, the wonderful drenching of uh, God's relentless love towards us. 
and everything. And yet, you look at Matthew 6, 14, it looks like there's an equation there. If you forgive those who sin against you, so this is what he says after he gives the model prayer. He goes right to the big issue, doesn't he? I love the way Jesus will never skirt issues. He just goes there, bam. Now, you got to remember, this is pre-cross, pre-resurrection. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus in that teaching declaring every fulfillment of the law. Every requirement of the law is found in the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount of what, how it is spoken. If you draw the line, and these are people under the old covenant, the line's drawn. This is what God, this is the law of what God's requirement is over you. So Jesus teaches to that very fulfillment because he is the fulfillment. He came, he said, don't, don't think, he says, every jot, every little line, every little tittle will be complete in me. I won't forget a comma that's in the law. I will, I will live it perfectly for you. And so we look at this equation and it's so tough because it's if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive, your father will not forgive your sins. An equation? Well, really, if you look at the Greek, it's really should almost be written like this. If you don't forgive, how can God forgive you? Because there's something in the way there. It's, it's not an equation, okay, you forget one person, <laughs> you're in trouble now, no heaven for you. You forgot to forgive that mean Uncle Freddy when you were seven and he said, Marcus. And you just went on life and forgot about it. And it's years later and you're standing before the Lord in heaven. He says, you know, that thing between you and Freddy. Yeah. Sorry, that's keeping you out, bud. Does that sound like God to you? It's not an issue of the eternal judgments of God. It's the issue of how does God speak to your own hearts about the things that you have to forgive if you're unwilling to forgive them? And how can he enter into the relationship, the forgiving kindness, his love towards you, when you're going... I can't hear that right now. I'm mad at somebody. He's going, I can't, talk. I can't have a conversation with you about it. Come here, this is a place of rest. Come here and sit down. Come here, Lloyd. Sit down. Now, you, I, by the way, I know Marcus really well, and he would never be offended and wouldn't have to go to the room of forgiveness <laughs> to get over that. And I don't think he has an uncle named that name. That's why I used him. You guys really need to get to know Marcus and Josiah. That's just a little aside. You need to invite them out for a meal and take them out after church and get to know them because they're really key people in my life. That was a free one. Buy them a good meal, too. That one won't be free. Either that or just have them over and have some bologna sandwiches because that's really what's fun. They just need to have you Forgiveness 
one of the most liberating, elusive, difficult, engaging, provocative, trusting, merciful, and courageous acts that you will ever accomplish as a believer. It is the central theme in God teaching us about prayer. Because it's really the central issue of the cross, resurrection, ascension, and the new covenant that's given to us is actually based in God's mercy and grace. Completely. So it has to be steeped in forgiveness. All unforgiveness is about sin. Yeah? When we sin, we feel guilty and condemned. Even believers, you know, uh, in the process of sinning, I forget Romans 8, 1, like that. You know, there's therefore now no condemnation. I have to remind myself in a place of freedom, forgive me. When we're sinned against, we feel anger and hurt and the pain of injustice. Some of us get hurt more easily than others. Some of us are more sensitive. I understand that. Um, I'm a sensitive man. Um, It's a great strength for me. It's a great weakness, too, because I get to deal with the issues of Forgiveness and unforgiveness a lot. Um, You know, half the time I want to slap myself and say, don't be like your sister, you know, because she had trouble with it. And then the rest of the time I'm going, no, that really hurt. And uh, and understanding this. And so as we enter this room, what I want to tell you is, like all of you, I'm in the midst of this. I can't teach this from I've arrived. Like, man, I live in total forgiveness for everybody. No. Sometimes it takes me, oh, I could fudge and say 24 hours. Sometimes it's a little bit longer than that when somebody offends me. Here's what I know. The power of unforgiveness is incredible. And it has to be understood in the framework of the trust we have in God over the power of sin. And we tend not to do this in this room. We tend to rely on self-power. I was told from the equation, I was taught, if I don't forgive, I'm not going to get forgiven, so by golly, I'm going to forgive him. And it keeps coming up, so I'm just going to keep forgiving them. And it says 70 times 70, and so whatever that means, and I'm going to forgive them. God, God, I'm mad at them. And then we get caught in this weird head frame of, well, have I truly forgiven them? Yeah? And we go through this analysis state. If I really forgave them, it would never come up again. Really? Who said that? Who, who told you that? That's the definition that you really forgave them, is it never came up again? Do you know how much stuff this thing stores? 
I have at least three and a half billion facts that would bore you to tears stuck up in here. I have about a half billion that would shock you, and I have a couple that you'd really like. So do you. This thing's incredible. All the stuff that's happened, the, the way we retain it or hide it or don't want to deal with it. But you see, it's not in us that we have the ability to find in this room the place to actually forgive emotionally, thoughtfully, out of everything that is it. There's, it has to be done in the framework of this. I trust what God did with sin. That's the fra- if I can come to that framework in, this, in the Lord's Prayer. Because he died, literally this, he died to give you the gift of forgiveness. Not just for you, he died to give you the gift of forgiveness so that you could forgive others. On your own, you're not going to want to. They can't pay a big enough price. Um, it's, it's throughout culture, it's throughout all time. Uh, any of you English majors, lit majors? Oh, this poor dear people, God. Okay. There, there, there's a whole theme in literature that's based on a German word. We find it through so much of whether it's the Arthurian legends, or if you like Tolkien, or if you like any of those writers, they based it all on the centrality of the theme of a thing called Vergilt, man price. This injustice happened, and therefore this is going to be paid for it. Just think of how many stories you read, how many movies you watch. It's all based on the Verkild. You know, good German, you know, they have such nice soft words. You know, gee, that's a pleasant word, Verkild. You know, the man price. It's the theme of the Lord of the Rings. The ring is power to make things happen. Well, the good news is, in the book, The Cure, the authors of the book, and John's just one of of three guys, but they reflect on forgiveness as coming through an understanding that I don't think we approach it that way. We always go forgiveness leading to repentance, but they actually do really interesting things. So I hope I'm intriguing you enough to at least download this book on a Kindle and get it, because they have a whole chapter on this. But they start with repentance to explain forgiveness. Well, that sounds just backwards. It's supposed to be like this very methodical, first, you know. But they start with this deep understanding. And if you, if you even look, you know, the English word repentance is just a, not a very nice word. So they say this, what if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God, but was a gift from God to you? The true meaning of repentance means to change your mind. It means to paradigm shift completely about something. 
To repent means to think in the, not the exact opposite, but completely differently. Uh, the Greek word metamorpho, to, to change into something else. To change, you know, uh, uh, if any of you were Bob Dylan fans, you know, and after he got, came to Jesus in faith, you know, he wrote a song, going to change my way of thinking. That was repentance. To completely, completely go, whoa, these thoughts are going against God and these thoughts need to run to God. To go completely in a different direction, to have a, a paradigm shift in the way you view something. What if that's a gift to God to us in how we approach the issue of forgiveness? Not just of self, but with other people. Because I would tell you, forgiveness is not the desired result for what ails us. That person hurt me and i got to forgive them. Freedom. Freedom is the desired result. And the hallmark of a life that is trusting God with not only my life, but others. Even the ones who would call me their enemy. Even the ones who would betray me as a friend. Because I can grow in the maturity of that. I can grow in my understanding of a renewed life in Christ if my thinking changes. I think if all the things that that are your kingdom come, your will be done, it is freedom of a heart set free from unforgiveness, and here's the clinker with all of it, and the ensuing bitterness that becomes a cancer to healthy spirituality. And this isn't to slam anybody for anything, because I, I've got I, I go through a lot of forgiveness stuff like all of you do. But unforgiveness unchecked through repentance leads to bitterness. Bitterness destroys the spirit. It, it, it gets in there and it, it affects it. Doesn't take it away. It just eats away at your heart, eats away at your life. It really, it, of all the human emotions that is most like cancer, it's bitterness. It, it, even the word bitterness, that makes you want to, uh, you know. How many of you like eating rhubarb? How much sugar do you have to put with that little plant? Because if you go out there and eat a raw stock of rhubarb, it's like, you know, turnips. I used to eat turnips like apples when I was a little kid. It's so much fun. But other people go, you know, horseradish. Notice those are all roots. Well, rhubarb isn't, but it should be. The cost of freedom is a key to this. And instead of the focus on the issues of forgiveness being the cost that I must pay to be forgiven, what, what if we went back into this room, just hung out for a while this week, because I'm not going to get done with this teaching. Here's the thing. You could never pay enough forgiveness to get yourself or anyone else free. 
Forgiveness is a dependence on Christ. Forgiveness looks to the same cure that God offered you for someone else. You can, in the classic sense, repent over and over in this room and it means nothing. If your repentance means I keep trying to forgive but cannot get beyond the feelings and the thoughts that I have. I actually don't know very many believers who haven't gotten stuck in this area. Does it sound familiar to you? Give me a couple of head nods, okay? Otherwise, we're going to stay here till 3 o'clock. Don't do that. Let me just, I'm going to close with this by, by reading something to you from the cure on, on this very issue and, and the chapters on this. It's about the two approaches to forgiveness. And he, he references it to returning home in this room of grace and the conditions that we're in. So he says, the, the first condition to returning home, finding a place where you want to forgive somebody, is you have to be weary enough. Unforgiveness wears us out, doesn't it? Does me. I keep hitting the instant replay. I've seen that play 9,000 times I watched that guy drop the ball. And I just keep hitting it. They say we must be weakened to the point we drop our defenses long enough to look to God and call out, Help! That help, this condition is called repentance. Now you'd be saying, what? Repentance? Are you kidding me? I didn't do anything. I'm the victim, remember? But remember the tragedy of not trusting forgiveness. You've carried bitterness and have chosen to ignore God's protection and go it alone. Ouch. And often in the subjectivity of your inflamed and wounded bitterness, you become blinded to your part in the issue. Your hurt has given you permission to absolve yourself of all wrongdoing. Repentance is God's antidote to the guilt you feel both for, for both of these wrongs. You must face, maybe with the help of a trusted other, the brutal honesty of an accurate assessment of your role in this. So I would tell you about a journey with most of you know my childhood and my, my issue with my, my father was my jailer, my tormentor, all of that. And so the issues through the years was horrendous, horrendous. And I had great success some of the time. You know, I, I, uh, I wouldn't go into the story because that guy died anyway now. Not him, me. That old guy died. And I'm raised to new life. But that old grave guy was very grave in my life and reminded me of lots of things. And I did a, a profound thing that I didn't, nobody taught me. I didn't know how to do this. Uh, but about the second year after I started really understanding uh, what, what faith was and stuff, I went back to my father's gravestone. He'd been dead for a number of years already. So he committed suicide when I was a teenager. So there was no, we're going to get this right in Christ there wasn't any of that, so, I mean, it was like a scene uh, from, 
Hollywood could not script it better. It was lightning and storming and rain was coming down in a, in a drizzle and I'm at my father's gravestone with my knee in the mud. But what I, you know, and I didn't know, I didn't talk to God, I talked to him and I suppose, I don't know where the theology is on that. Don't go there. And, you know, I said, hey, I don't know how much I really forgive you, but I want you to know that the curse is broken in me. And I can't remember everything, and I, don't, I think I don't want to remember most of it, but I want you to know I'm free. I'm free, and I'm not going to do what you did. I'm not going to be like you were. And I thought you should know that about my life, because I'm never going to have a chance to reconcile with you. You know, and there were lots of other things said among the mud and the tears and snotting on myself but then you fast forward through all the years of it keep coming up keep coming up keep coming up keep coming up oh my god if I could get that out of my head learning to deal with trauma learning to hide from trauma learning to stuff trauma learning to and then learning to wear masks with it from a religious point of view I'm fine etc 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 and then I got restored with my oldest brother And something very profound happened. Uh, I had two other experiences. One, I won't won't go into the whole story. My life's a whole bunch of stories, so um, it's a God story. In getting reconciled to my brother, I'd had the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, reveal to me that all of my understanding and relationship about and with Everything that occurred with my dad was childish. Never had an adult relationship to him. I don't think I said more than three sentences to to him after I was 14. First time I ran away, you know, after that, we just didn't, we didn't have conversations. I was a kid. So all the frame, and and then him, him dying a few years after that, it stopped. Death brings an end. It's, it stopped except up here. But the up here was still childish. So all my relation of understanding why my dad did what he did, because there's an issue in forgiveness. I have to know why. Why were they that way? So that I can know, so that somehow justice can be had, so that forgiveness can be maybe won. Wrong equations. And... And I realized something that, so I went sitting in a boat with my, my oldest brother who for years I had hold, held stuff against him because we didn't have a relationship. And I just looked at him and I said, hey, uh, what was dad like? He went, what? I said, I, I didn't know him as an adult and you did. Who was he? What was he like? What, what dro-? And I just went on a journey just to find out. And I realized that half of the bitter ickiness inside of me was the bitter ickiness of a little boy who needed safety and security, and it wasn't provided for him. And that my memories were distorted, and that underneath all of that was just a human being. Just a human being. Wrought with brokenness and mental illness and addictive and all of that, yes, 
all of that which should be held to his account, except he's a broken human being like every other broken human being on the planet that needs a savior. And I found this much easier now. Somehow the bitter root judgments got pulled out through those many days of conversations of me just setting the paradigms aside and going, wait a minute, and doing like biblical, real fun biblical stuff, like once I was young and now I'm old, you know, and pull out the Proverbs on myself, you know. Oh, this is going to be real, you know. Most of the conversations were not so much fun, but realizing the things that created his own levels of brokenness that I couldn't see as a kid. And I had bitter judgments against him because I couldn't understand. You know, and I entered into it a little bit, but you know, can you imagine a tormented person born with a hair lip and a cleft palate and the family won't even walk into town with you because they're embarrassed over you? And then that little boy grows up to have relationship with this family? I don't think so. But when I was a kid, I couldn't understand why we wouldn't go over to Uncle Simon's house. Why can't I play with my cousins? The bitterness between those two brothers. So we enter into this room. We're going we're gonna to look at some more of it. If, if you have the courage to go with me. If you can't show up, listen, no, no stones to throw at you. I totally understand. This is too hard, too ugly, touches too much, and you don't want to do this. It's okay. Don't do it right now. But I know, and he ain't going to leave you alone on this. He just won't. We talked about it in our care group this morning. Listen, no matter what you think about God and what sin happened and what you're held to count for sin, God went after Adam. Adam did not go after God. God came seeking Adam after the fall. Adam never went. I blew it. So God's going to come after you in these areas of your life. And it's hard. Some of them, are the, some of them nobody's at fault and you can't find a place of forgiveness because you have it with God. So he's going to get you there. But if you can't do it right now, don't. I hope you can hear me. I'm giving you permission. Don't, don't come. Don't do it right now. When you can, do it immediately. Find a trusted friend to go on the journey. Get the book, The Cure. Come here, John. One of the best communicators about this stuff that I've ever been around. I, mean, I got a bromance going here. Seriously. If I could write, I would write like that. If I could teach, I would teach like that. If I could, if I, you know, it's one of those kind of things. But come hear a clear message that is so pinpointing, zip, right to the spot that you need it. Come next week. We're going to look at the characteristics of unforgiveness and why it's there in our life and look at the issue in depth about repentance, what that means. So, if you can't, if it's too hard to be here, then, I don't know, listen to them on the podcast, but come back, and, and let's go through these rooms together, and we just got to camp in this one for a while, so, yeah, it's doable.
Now, for the things that got awakened in your heart and stirred this morning, may I pray for you? Okay, we're going to go to three. You're not heading on me. Now, I'm hungry. Let's get on it. But I do want to pray for you. Would you do something that I think is really important? Would you put your hand on your heart just as a sign that the Holy Spirit that is welcome and working in you wants to touch your heart in these areas? Lord, we put our hands on our heart. My head so binds up my heart so often. Lord, it's here in the deep set soul emotion part of me that I need you to work. And I want you to work. Lord, I, I pray for all of us who have our hands on our heart. Lord, I say to you, thinking through the story of creation and Adam and you, don't leave me alone. Help me. I can't do it. Help. Help me, God. Help. I set my heart right now. I will follow. I'll be your little son. I'll be your gracious daughter. I will follow. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you love each other as you go? We're just going to close with that this morning. Just give somebody a big hug.